0: This lecture by adjunct professor Richard Jolly is called Building Personal and Organisational Resilience. It was delivered in May 2016 as part of the London Business School alumni reunion event. Richard Jolly teaches a wide portfolio of courses at London Business School and was voted Best Programme Teacher by students in 2003 and again Best Teacher in 2014 and was runner-up in 2007, 2010 and 2011. His teaching portfolio covers courses on leadership and core organisational behaviour topics, but focuses on teaching electives about interpersonal dynamics, managing change, power and politics. Richard also instructs a large number of executive education courses for the school in the UK and across Europe, the Middle East and Asia.
1: I have to say I'm really excited to be with you here this afternoon because the topic we're talking about is one that's very close to my heart. And it seems to me that right now in organizations, we're at a sort of critical time. And uh, I hope that I can uh, raise some challenges for you to think about yourself, your organization, and uh, what you can do to really try and help both of these be more resilient. So where I want to start this afternoon uh, is with a question. Thinking just generally about your life, what really matters to you most in life? So when you look back over your life, what are the things that uh, will really have been important to you? What I want to do is share with you some findings from a remarkable lady called Bronnie Ware, who spent a large part of her life looking after people, uh, working as a nurse in the hospice movement, uh, who in their last few uh, weeks and months of life. And when she retired, she wrote a book where she said, look, uh, when people uh, really at the end of their life, it's remarkable just how consistent the regrets are about how they live their life. And her book is called The Top Five Regrets uh, of the Dying. Let me briefly take you through this. Number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, uh, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Uh, And finally, and most importantly of all for me, I wish that I'd let myself be happier. Now, we're gonna take each of these points in turn and really try and look at some of the research to really help uh, uh, illustrate uh, the uh, the themes I wanna cover this afternoon. But before we do that, the question I want to really focus on here is, what really matters to you most in life? This is a question I've asked to thousands of executives uh, over the years, uh, and these are the top five that come up. Uh, A partner a significant other, someone to share your life with. If you have a partner, uh, on average, uh, you'll be happier and live longer than if you don't. (laughs) Friends. (laughs) On average. Friends. uh, Again, spending really quality time frequently with your friends uh, is important. Uh, uh, You, time for yourself. Remember those things you used to have called hobbies and interests? Health in terms of uh, uh, your well-being, in terms of your fitness, and children. So these are five, and there's many others that come up, some sort of spiritual life, uh, uh, community involvement. The question I want to really focus on here is, where does work fit into this diagram? And the answer is, it doesn't. It doesn't fit at all. Uh, And particularly uh, in our current uh, uh, working environment, uh, work kind of overlaps. Uh, all of these, uh, and if we're not careful, uh, particularly when times are tough, we find ourselves working a little bit longer, uh, longer hours, uh, maybe working more weekends, maybe uh, coming home, uh, having some dinner and working uh, uh, later, uh, uh, maybe uh, working uh, early in the mornings, uh, and, uh, but we're sort of doing okay. But the risk is uh, that if this pattern uh, continues, we get to this stage. And this, for me, is dangerous. There is a saying that somebody else can look after your children. You don't want somebody else looking after your partner. (laughs) Failure to invest in the one key relationship that you still want to be there when the children have left home is a classic mistake. And again, what's this one? Friends. You remember those people you used to kind of hang out with? Let me give you my definition of a friend. A friend is somebody that when you spend time with them, you feel energized. Again, these hobbies and interests, all those things you to spend time on. Uh, Again, health, we'll come back to this one, you can imagine, Uh, and again, children. So if we're not careful, this stage is one uh, that can happen. And there's a a quotation that when I first saw it um, years ago now, uh, it really uh, sort of punched me in the face. It's it's from Benjamin Franklin who said, some people die at 25 and aren't buried until they're 75. Now, in my work with organizations, uh, particularly working with senior management, uh, it's something that I find uh, too frequently, which is working with senior executives who have achieved all the things they thought would make them happy. They've got the money, uh, the status, the power, the the material goods. Uh, They've got all of the uh, sense of achievement um, that they thought would make them happy, and yet they're kind of not that happy. In fact, the really scary thing is when you've achieved all the things you thought would make you happy, uh, and yet you're less happy than at any point in your career. That's a tough moment. Now, the um, issue it raises is, well, what's really the problem here? Uh, Is it uh, technology? Well, we're going to talk about this shortly, and to some degree the answer is yes. Technology doesn't help uh, in some respects. Uh, Is it lack of boundaries around work? Uh, Lots of work travel, an interconnected uh, global uh, work environment. Uh, Your boss, maybe your boss, or even the organisation. Are these the problem? Well, for me, overwhelmingly, there is one fundamental problem here. I'm afraid it's bad news. It's kind of, it's you. You're the real problem. Because you set incredibly high standards for yourself. You're much more demanding of yourself than any sort of tyrannical boss could ever be. Uh, You never feel as if you've done enough. And certainly, it's probably many years since you ever said, right, time to go home, my work is finished. We never kind of finish our work. Uh, You're self-critical. And if you're not careful, your identity can become far too caught up Uh, in your uh, working life because of these uh, changes in the boundaries. In fact, I would argue that there is a disease that's spreading through our organizations. And there may even be some of you that have some of the symptoms of this disease. Let me share with you some of the typical symptoms. The disease is what I call hurry sickness, and here are some of the typical symptoms. Number one, if you're microwaving something just for 30 seconds, You have to do something else whilst you're waiting for the microwave to go ping. You get a buzz from just catching a plane or a train. You do something else whilst you drive. Listen to the radio, be on the phone, eat your breakfast, put on your makeup. You're doing something else uh, uh, in the car. You eat at your desk whilst checking your emails, uh, sometimes on the phone at the same time, of course. You do something else whilst brushing your teeth, Uh, particularly those of you with an electric uh, toothbrush, of course. Uh, In fact, uh, I remember a client of mine recently told me that, uh, he said, Richard, my electric toothbrush uh, uh, lasts two minutes. That's four minutes a day of valuable wasted time. He (laughs) says, I have a pile of reading in the bathroom so I can maximize uh, my efficiency. I thought he was packing his day a little bit uh, tightly here. Uh, You get impatient waiting in line or waiting in traffic. Uh, You check your mobile phone multiple times an hour. Uh, In fact, studies have shown uh, recently that uh, the average executive checks their phone every seven or eight minutes. Uh, Sometimes, even at events like this, you might be (laughs) checking your phone. (laughs) You hate the time it takes to boot up your computer. In fact, you hate it so much, you never really turn that computer off. You have that sleep mode or hibernate mode. Uh, You find yourself wanting to interrupt other people frequently. I mean, you may be polite enough that you don't. You're sitting there thinking, come on. <laughs> you do something else in telephone conferences. But there is an ultimate symptom to know if you have this disease, which is uh, when you get into an elevator, you have a favorite button. And there are two words on that button which say, close doors. Now, you're not stupid. You know how technology works. You don't just push that button once. <laughs> That's not going to make a difference. You've got to keep pushing the damn thing because <laughs> that's, that's how it works. So the fundamental problem is that particularly in our technology enabled uh, lives, uh, we're losing a fundamental skill. We're losing the ability to really stop and think. Almost every executive uh, in the world today, the first thing that they do when they wake up in the morning is check their email the last thing they do when they're lying in bed at night is check their email. And we're connected every moment in between. And they have a wonderful phrase that uh, comes from Florida that for me gets at the heart of this issue. What they say is this. When you're fighting off the alligator, it's hard to remember you were trying to drain the swamp. If you're trying to drain the water away so you can build stuff, if that's your strategic objective, the problem is there are alligators there. And if an alligator attacks you, you kind of need to defend yourself. Um, But here's the challenge. We have become a generation of alligator fighters. The problem here is that um, we spend all our life, actually, if we're not careful, doing this sort of stuff that doesn't really matter. Uh, And you can't really blame technology. The problem is when you check your email, you trigger the whole Misolympic reward system in your brain. You trigger dopamine. You are chemically addicted to your email. There's nothing rational about it whatsoever. It triggers exactly the same chemistry (coughs) in your brain as any form of addiction. And yet we think we're just doing the right thing. It is now possible to spend your entire career creating no value for your organization (laughs) and do the whole time doing emails, and sitting in meetings. The great Sumantra Gauchel put it very powerfully when he said, look, there's two things that are important here, focus and energy. I don't worry about your ability uh, to have energy. I do worry about your ability to focus on the things that really matter to you, both at work and more fundamentally outside of work. That's my real concern uh, in the world of business today. And by the way, uh, for the average executive, Uh, The key stressful moments in your life are not in the workplace. They're commuting uh, and actually life, real relationships. Because real relationships are kind of difficult. But in the workplace, uh, it's not how many hours you work. There's kind of no correlation between hours you work and how stressed you are. Much more fundamentally, the thing that causes stress is how in control you feel of the work you do. Because if you have, as uh, uh, Robert Karasek put it, high demands and uh, low control, that is inherently stressful. Uh, And so many executives today live in this life of constant stress. So the theme of today's session is resilience. So let me try and talk to you about what resilience is and uh, kind of why it's difficult, uh, and I'm going to stress you out. uh, But also then talk about well, what can you actually do to build your own and your organization's resilience. So resilience, the way I define it, how it's often defined, is the ability to recover from stress and adjust fairly easily uh, to change. So how do you do this? Well, two things I want to focus on, skills and most fundamentally, it's attitude. That's really at the heart of what we're going to talk about uh, uh, in this session. Um, And the classic model for thinking about this uh, goes back uh, over 100 years. Uh, and has still been validated in a whole bunch of recent uh, neurological studies uh, and uh, medical studies as well. Uh, and this is uh, 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 sort of Yerkes and Dodson's uh, study, originally on uh, original mice in 1908, uh, and it's called the Yerkes-Dodson Law. So your performance is influenced by how much pressure you're under. Now, if you don't have enough uh, pressure, enough stress on you, uh, you just get bored, frustrated, dissatisfied. It's what's sometimes called rust out. So that's the first half of it. And there is a point in the middle here when we're at our most effective, at our most creative, at our most satisfied, uh, uh, that state of flow, as it's sometimes called. But the question this leads to is, what happens on the right-hand side of your graph? Some people even say, yes, I eat stress for breakfast. Um, Well, unfortunately, uh, the problem here is this is what it really looks like. As we're feeling more pressure, we're getting more tired, we're working longer hours, if we're not careful, we can get into some kind of vicious circle here. You start getting ill, uh, just exhausted, irrational behavior, getting irritated by things that never used to irritate you. Uh, And clearly, uh, this is what we call burnout. Usually, it's just one extra piece of stress uh, that makes a fundamental shift in our ability to cope. Uh, And in terms of how we cope, uh, it affects uh, all of our sort of physiology here, and particularly one of our uh, stress hormones called cortisol. And cortisol is a hormone, a healthy hormone. Uh, and in moderate levels it's anti-inflammatory, it's very, uh, a very important hormone. Uh, and um, uh, the problem is when you have prolonged high levels of stress, you produce too much cortisol and too much cortisol is toxic. Uh, so Um, Not only does it uh, affect our uh, immune system, it also affects our sleep. Early in the morning, uh, your body starts producing cortisol, and high levels of cortisol in the morning help you wake up, refreshed, ready to go for the day. But our body processes throughout the day, and then when it comes time for bed, we're tired, ready to go to sleep, (sighs) and then we sleep well, and all of the uh, body's repair processes kick in, both mentally, Uh, as well as physically, repairing us, uh, ready to go, so that we wake up the next day refreshed and ready to go. That is the healthy pattern we want. The problem here is prolonged high levels of stress, our body produces too much cortisol. Uh, And it can't process it throughout the day, so the graph looks a bit more like this. Uh, And then when it's time for bed, the problem is that our brains are still going at 100 miles an hour. Uh, and we know we're exhausted, sometimes we're shaking with exhaustion, but we just can't switch our brains off. It's that state that I call being tired and wired. Uh, sleep is one of the most um, hot topics uh, in the world of business today. I was at Davos in January, uh, and uh, two themes were really everywhere. Sleep, <laughs> you need to get better sleep. Uh, and uh, mindfulness was the other one. If you're not sleeping well, it affects everything. Uh, In fact, certain studies have shown that people who are chronically sleep deprived uh, perform as well on a range of tasks as people who are drunk. (laughs) And yet for many executives, they spend a large majority of their lives going through this sort of sleepwalking through their waking lives. (coughs) So what does it take uh, in order for us to sleep well, to get out of this tired and wired state? Well, there's a few pieces of advice here. Number one, whatever you do, never ever have a screen in your bedroom. If you've got a television, just rip it out. Never take your iPad, never take (laughs) your damn phone into the bedroom uh, because uh, it just stimulates you. Uh, You want it dark, as dark as you can get. It doesn't have to be silent. Uh, A little bit of background noise, a bit of white noise is fine because otherwise if it's completely silent. Even one small amount of noise uh, might wake you up. Uh, And you need to try and slow yourself down. So of all the things that you can do to help you manage your cortisol down, to help you sleep better, there are two things that come out most consistently. Number one, uh, exercise. 30 minutes of moderate exercise uh, reduce your cortisol level significantly for 48 hours. Uh, The other biggest thing is mindfulness. Now, it doesn't have to be any transcendental meditation. It doesn't have to be some sort of spiritual thing, just simple breathing exercises just for five or 10 minutes even. Just sit down in a comfortable chair, close your eyes, and just count uh, your breathing, count in for six, count out for six. If you do that for 10 minutes, uh, that will have a significant impact uh, on a range of different measures. And the research that's coming out now from the academic world about the impact of mindfulness uh, is, for me, incredibly uh, exciting. Uh, Over-medicating yourself with alcohol uh, more than a couple of glass of wine is not good because whilst it does knock you out, uh, you don't get high quality sleep. It's like an anesthetic. Yeah, in fact, you probably will wake up in the middle of the night, uh, go to the bathroom. Uh, and obviously, when you go there, you'll be checking your emails. But um, <laughs> the really scary thing is, uh, one executive said to me recently, he said, Richard, um, what I found is when I'm checking the emails in the bathroom in the middle of the night, I'm actually getting replies. <laughs> it's kind of a problem here. Um, if we're not getting enough high quality sleep then if our cortisol is uh, too high and we're not managing it effectively so we're not really waking up refreshed well what happens to us well here's the stressful bit Uh, because what happens is high levels of cortisol become toxic it affects a wide range uh, of uh, measures Uh, it affects do you feel sort of well or do you feel ill so what happens when Uh, it affects your immune system. Well, there is a range of different symptoms here. This is the stressful bit. Uh, Cold, flu, uh, backache, a classic stress-related symptom, very expensive for organisations, tight chest, uh, migraines, allergy outbreaks, skin problems, uh, and more chronic uh, sort of longer-lasting effects, uh, hypertension, ulcers, accident-proneness. Addictions of all forms, uh, including electronic, uh, retail and internet uh, addictions. Asthma, uh, and that brings us on to um, infertility, particularly for women. Uh, and uh, this can be a very big issue, uh, and also for men as well with uh, sperm counts. Uh, colon bowel disorders, diabetes, kidney disease, rheumatoid arthritis, again another uh, autoimmune uh, sort of a disease. Um, these are pretty serious, and I'm not going to read out the next list because this really will uh, make you depressed. So something sort of strange here, which is we're leading this sort of life where we're sort of getting more and more stressed. And if we're not careful, you get into this vicious cycle and you think you're coping uh, until something, as I said, just comes out of the blue. And what, uh, if we're not careful, uh, we wait too late to really stand back from all of these alligators and think about what really is important to me. Because work can form this type of displacement activity. It can just fill our lives. It's not about being too busy. We always have time to do the things we want to do. Always. The key thing here I'm really trying to say is uh, stop and think. What really matters to me? I want to go back uh, to these uh, five points from Bronnie Ware uh, and really use them to think about uh, some, uh, some things that you might be able to do. The first point here, uh, she said, is I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life uh, others expected of me. Now, over the last 20 years, uh, I've coached a lot of people uh, in senior positions, often going through major transitions. uh, And um, I'm absolutely clear in my mind, the people who have great careers always do the same thing. They just focus on stuff they're passionate about. Great careers, they kind of emerge by doing things that you're excited about. Because if you're really having fun, doing something that energizes you, then people kind of want to hang out with you. You have high mojo. (laughs) Uh, When you walk into interviews, you just look as if you're having fun. People want you to have you around. So great careers about figuring out, and it often is the life's uh, work, figuring out, what am I really good at? Uh, Well, what are my real strengths? Uh, What am I doing when I'm at my best? So that's the first one. The second one is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. So Harold Kushner has, has a famous uh, quotation here. Uh, Nobody on their deathbed has ever said, I wish I spent more time in the office. Uh, and certainly when it comes to tombstones, this is not a tombstone <laughs> you're ever likely to see. And this is true. All of us had moments where you know, I've got a, an office at home, and there are times I'm there thinking, I've just got so much work to do now, and I can hear the kids and I have to say, I've got a lot better at saying, you know what? I've got to do these emails, but they can wait till tomorrow, because these moments with family, for me, this is—it's not just uh, sort of quality time. These are the memories my children will have of their father, or not. Kind of matters. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Now, there's two aspects of this. Um, The negative and the positive. Let's start off with the negative. Because part of what we need to do is have the courage to confront the difficult conversations. The difficult conversations are crucially important, but much more importantly than those, it's the positive ones. Because uh, taking time to praise other people, to say thank you, uh, it kind of matters. And if you do this consistently, it triggers... uh, uh, a sort of state called eudaimonia, what's called human flourishing, well-being, uh, your body's just going to be healthier. And it's just in a business sense as well, simple stuff you can do. Uh, great, the great uh, Jack Welsh was famous for sending a huge number of handwritten cards saying thank you for people. Uh, now, if you get a card from the CEO of the company, or some you know, big celebrity, that's, kind of, that's a memorable event for most people. Uh, and uh, so getting to this habit of praising people, saying thank you, is crucially important. Next one. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Now, friends is a particularly important one here because it's so easy with all of this sort of work bubble pushing the other ones, spend less time with the people we care about. And my definition of friends I mentioned earlier was these are the people that when you spend time with them, you feel energized yeah you feel that kind of uh, that energy you come away from it uh, with your mojo higher there's been a number of studies one done in sweden one done in the us longitudinal studies one of them over 16 years and controlling for all other factors they found something remarkable if uh, you don't spend time with your friends if you're more socially isolated during the time of the study you had a 50 percent higher mortality rate now It's kind of scary this, but if you're not going to spend time with your friends, well, you're kind of screwing up. And there may come a time later in life when you really do regret it. And finally, and the most important one here for me, I wish I'd let myself be happier. Now, what this isn't saying is I wish I'd been happier. What this is saying is I wish I'd let myself be happier. For me, The most powerful thing here about happiness is not trying to control everything uh, because you can't control everything. The one thing you can control more than anything else is not what happens to you, it's how you respond uh, to what happens to you. That is the ultimate thing uh, you can control. So The advice here about how to manage stress, how to be happier, well, um, there's a quotation here. In fact, it's a prayer. Uh, that, for me, gets at the heart of the issue. And I offer this to you in no religious sense, but much rather because the advice contained in it is psychologically absolutely right. And it's called The Serenity Prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr, who said, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is just brilliant. Because if you can't change something, just let it go. That's part of it. But the real challenge here is having the courage to change the things we can. Because there are things in your life that are no-brainers, things you should be doing differently. The question is, are you actually going to do them differently? Um, And it takes real courage any change event, any good event, any bad event, uh, you have a choice how you respond. You can either see it as an opportunity or you can see it uh, as a threat. Uh, And in the words of uh, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, famously, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. You really do have a choice to choose how you respond when things happen to you. All of us, there are things in our life we know we should be doing differently. They're kind of obvious. If we're not careful we will end up regretting them. So why don't we do the things we know we should be doing? This is the question that probably I think about more than any other question in my uh, working uh, career uh, here at London Business School. Why don't we do it? Because we know what we should be doing. I want to give you an example of this, uh, a medical example. Uh, I said I'd come back to heart disease, uh, the biggest killer in the world today. Uh, And um, uh, if you have a heart disease and they uh, catch it in time, uh, they typically do something called bypass surgery. I mean, less than they used to, uh, but uh, this is still the main intervention. And if we just take data from the U.S. here, um, they do more than half a million of uh, these grafts and angioplasties uh, every year. Whilst it keeps you alive, it doesn't stop the heart disease. In fact, it only prevents a uh, future heart attack in 3% of patients. Uh, And uh, within one year of uh, your uh, first heart attack, uh, one in four men uh, will die, and one in three women will die. But a lot of these are unnecessary. Because what happens is, after you have your surgery, the doctor comes in, sits down, and says, great news. The surgery was successful. However, you need to change your lifestyle. That's the point around heart disease. Uh, You need to change your lifestyle. Uh, So the classic medical advice here is, uh, if you're a smoker, give up smoking. Uh, You might want to eat a little bit more healthily and take a bit more exercise. Change your lifestyle over here. Death over here. That's about as simple a motivation as you thought uh, you could get. But in this situation, what percentage of these patients actually change their lifestyle? Kind of scary. Here's one of the leading uh, cardiologists in the US, uh, Dr. Edward Miller, who said if you look at people after their bypass uh, surgery two years later, 90% of them have not changed their lifestyle and that's been studied over and over and over again. Can you get a sense of his frustration here? A lot of people say, well, I'm going to try and give up smoking. I'm going to try and do this. Uh, I'm going to set a new year's resolution, which is one of the stupidest things that you can do. Um, Don't try. In the words of the great uh, uh, guru, uh, Yoda, no, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. So here's some advice. What action can you take to really help you cope? Well, uh, you've got to take more control of your time. Uh, you know, Emails all the time, meetings, uh, kind of a crisis in most organizations. And studies are done over the last 10 years, over 95% of executives say that emails got out of control and over 95% of executives say that meetings in our organization are a mess. They're inefficient and ineffective. So in your working life, take control of your time Uh, and certainly take control of your mental energy. Uh, When you're in your 20s, you kind of throw your mental energy around at all sorts of things. As we get older, hopefully we get better at focusing energy on the stuff that really matters. (coughs) Secondly, Spend time for your own renewal. With all these other things, it's very easy to say, well, I don't matter, got to focus on my work, got to focus on the kids, on my partner, and all these other commitments, uh, and uh, not on yourself. This is both on your well-being, in terms of diet and exercise, uh, but also those hobbies and interests, things that keep your mojo high, because if you don't have a high mojo, it damages all of your relationships to make sure you do get some time for the things that matter for you. Own your own decisions. Aim for clear, realistic goals. Don't set yourself up to fail. Set yourself up to succeed. If you get into a habit of at the end of the day saying, yes, I've achieved what I set out to today, then just psychologically you're in the right kind of zone and you're building the right momentum there. You're building that uh, sort of confidence. Uh, Create non-negotiables. This is probably the most profound one for me uh, because um, the boundaries around work have just evaporated. You've got to create boundaries, not just around work. You've got to create boundaries around all the things that are important to you in your life. Boundaries around time with your partner. Boundaries around time with your friends. Boundaries around time for you, uh, your fitness, your well-being. Uh, time with uh, family, whatever it is that's important to you. Uh, And get help, a friend to keep you on course. Uh, And uh, if you are going to go to the gym, then, you know, if you possibly can, meet a friend there. Because then if you don't turn up, why the hell weren't you there? It's kind of uh, pretty uh, uh, pretty compelling to get you out of bed in the morning. This so far has talked about you and your personal resilience. What I want to do for the last uh, 10 minutes here is really focus on organizational resilience. Uh, because uh, there's a real risk here uh, that uh, whilst it's our responsibility to take control of our own lives, uh, what kind of organizations are we creating? What kind of environment are we creating uh, around us? And I want to really focus here just briefly on something called Dunbar's number. Because Robin Dunbar's a, an anthropologist who did an analysis of our human brains. And um, what he was trying to do, using an analysis called neocortex ratio, is figure out for the average human being, how many active, (coughs) stable, social relationships uh, can we cope with? And he came up with a rather precise number, 148. Um, Another group of anthropologists did a very different analysis. They were looking at all of the hunter-gatherer societies in the world today, and apparently there are 19 of them. And they found something remarkable. Wherever they were around the globe, the average size of the community was exactly the same. And it had typically been stable for tens of thousands of years. The average size of these communities? 148. Now, this could be a coincidence, of course, but there's something I want to argue here that is fundamental about the nature of human community. Because human beings have lived in villages, tribes of around 150 people throughout history. In our lives today, kind of feels a bit different to this because in the 1880s, following the Industrial Revolution and the American Civil War, the entire fabric of human community exploded with the birth of these massive organizations, often hundreds of thousands of people working in the same plant. Now, how do you get things to happen in this environment? Well, the answer was provided in 1911 by the book that I would argue is the most influential business book of the 20th century, uh, written by a guy called Frederick Winslow Taylor. It was called The Principles of Scientific Management. And Taylorism, as it sometimes was known, uh, became and still is, in many ways, the dominant model that we really use to define our organizations today. Because what uh, Taylor said in, uh, in this book is, in the past, the man has been first. In the future, the system must be first. And this is the world we live in today a world of rules, a world of processes, <coughs> a world of bureaucracy. And the benefits are breathtaking. This mass standardization, as Henry Ford called it, any color so long as it's black, the benefits to society are just breathtaking. Uh, life expectancy has uh, more than doubled in this time. Uh, you know, food is available all year round. International travel is relatively uh, cheap uh, and extremely safe. How do you do that? Well, mass standardization. Uh, There's a standardized process. Every flight you go on, uh, you'll have a safety briefing, you'll have a seat belt, you have to go through the same security process. That's how you give these benefits to society. But There's a problem embedded in scientific management. I think it's quite a fundamental problem, and the problem is this. Uh, and it's not new, even during Henry Ford's lifetime, the Ford Motor Company lost its dominant position. In fact, it took them 70 years to tear it back because uh, along came a very different organization with a very different leader who wasn't obsessed by control. Uh, the great Alfred P. Sloan. And we still have the Sloan Masters Program at London Business School uh, in his honor. And Sloan said, you know what, there's a funny thing here at GM. We pay for their hands, for their physical labor. We could get their heads for free. And ever since 1911, organisations have been struggling with how do you actually get people to care about the organisation? To go beyond the bare minimum. If you use the language of today, we talk about employee engagement. When you look at the data of employee engagement studies, it's kind of depressing. Most people in most organizations don't want to be there. In fact, over half of them are actively looking for jobs elsewhere. So how do we actually create uh, these engaged organizations? How do you create an organization where people actually care? Well, um, a good example of this uh, is Southwest Airlines. In the last 20 years, Southwest Airlines every single year has been the most profitable airline in the u.s domestic uh, airline industry Uh, it's got the lowest prices uh, the best departures and arrivals uh, best baggage handling. you know it is just the best airline how do you create that airline in a horrible market Uh, it's not the rules the processes it's simple if you treat people as adults they behave as adults you actually create an environment where you actually look after each other, where you put the people first, that's what defines Southwest Airlines. And there's a professor at Berkeley called uh, 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 Daka Keltner, who's doing some very uh, important research right now that says, uh, if you treat people well, you'll make more money. You'll be more successful than if you don't. Uh, and this ability to create these kind of organizations, uh, more human organizations, uh, that for me is really at the heart of how we build a confident organization for the future. So let me try and wrap this up with a final quotation. Uh, And um, uh, this is from the great Mark Twain, who said, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, the ropes. Sail away from the safe harbor. Don't get to that stage where you have regrets and its lack of courage to really stand back from the alligators and really think about what really matters to me that I urge you to take away from this afternoon. Thank you very much.
0: This is one of many lectures from London Business School. You can find out more about their full range of programmes suitable for every career stage at their website www.london.edu.